I've been getting up early to go to the gym. Uh, as I mentioned, like I'm still going because thankfully nothing bad happened from the previously mentioned incident. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I've, I've been getting up and just because of the hours I'm going at. I uh, I end up eating breakfast a lot out, uh, a lot at Taco Bell, which again I realize probably it kind of counters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like walk to like walk to the gym, do the gym, and then swing by Taco Ta- or Taco Bell on the way back. Yeah, that that's like negative gym. More on the way there, uh, because I don't want to be all... If, if I'm all hungry on the treadmill, then I'm not going to be at that treadmill for long. Fair enough. Instead, I get diarrhea, which is much better. <laughs> of all the fast food places I've eaten at, Taco Bell is just the clearest where the staff understand as well as you. You don't care. Like, yeah. It's even more early in the morning, like, uh, be- because of how fast they can make their food, if it takes, like, more than a minute for them to get it out, then they clearly forgot you existed. And they're, they very rarely just throw, like, extra food on there as an apology, because, you know, whatever. It's early in the morning. They don't they don't care. You don't care. Yes, everyone who is at Taco Bell knows that they are at Taco Bell. They know why they're at Taco Bell, and they're expecting the Taco Bell experience. Once I went in there, and the roof had clearly sprung a massive leak. And I think there's a lot of fast food places that would, you know, close when that happened. But no, this one, they just kind of roped off an area, put a bucket down, and it's fine. God bless Taco Bell. Welcome to Brokusatsu, Two Brothers Exploration of Tokusatsu shows and associated media. I'm Harry. And I'm Sam. And I just want to uh I just want to apologize to Debbie at work. Uh so, Harry, like, there was a gift exchange for Christmas this year. And uh Debbie at work was my secret Santa, and she got me this lovely new pair of headphones. And like, because I kind of live my life in headphones at work. Everyone knows me as the headphone guy. That they have to, you know, work really hard to get the attention of, uh, not knowing that half the time I'm not listening to anything. I just have those headphones off because I don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah, just just a shield against the world. I know how it is, Sam. We're family of introverts. Exactly. Uh, But I just want to apologize to her because, like, she got me these lovely new headphones. They were fancy, they were comfy, great sound quality, and I murdered them this week. Like, not, not even doing anything. Like, I go through three or four sets of headphones a year, but man, I murdered these in like three weeks after Christmas, and I just know that when she saw me walking in today with new headphones on. Yeah, we're, we're rough We're rough on appliances in this family. I've taken to just buying audio cables from Dollar Tree, uh, because I I I use audio, like uh, headphones when I'm jogging on the treadmill and stuff, and I'm really rough with them, so it just makes more sense to get something that will break after, like, a week that costs a dollar. Then something that will that costs $10 and will break in two weeks. I totally get the economics of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's... I've been creating lots of wasted plastic or whatever, but uh, I... You know, um... Pick your battles. <laughs> Speaking of picking your battles... Yes. I guess. Yeah, we're starting uh, with Coming to Rider Zero One, episode 19. Yay, and Harry, this week it's about business. It's about businessmen and doing business things. Yeah. So, so, so I have so. a lot to talk about. Oh, good. 
and it's a real estate battle, as I kind of spoiled last time. We start with, uh, and also they're doing stuff with the cinematography in this episode. Like, I, I probably should have checked what director they did, but they're flexing a little bit because they're doing very flashy, you know, music intros for the two competitors and having kind of title screens for them. There are several points in this episode where uh, Izu kind of appears to stop time, a say by the Bell style, and does a quick aside with the audience to explain a certain point of the universe. The human competitor is, I, I didn't get his name down, but he's the ace of Onami real estate, and he's the top of the monthly sales. Uh, he's mm-hmm. like a, a young, uh, driven businessman who was born to sell houses. Uh, oh, no, yes. I wrote it down. Uh, Tatsumi. I'm going to assume that you got that right. I would have no idea if you got it wrong. Uh, but yes, so we the episode starts with walking into the business of this real estate salesperson. There's a lot of energy there. Everyone is super just on edge at all times and screaming about money. And as someone who works in a business office, um, yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah. At, at least for certain floors. Like, I'm sure there's a floor like directly below these people that just hate their guts. But yeah. You know, for the actual salespeople, yeah, yeah, fairly accurate. We we cut to the confrontation cafe as Guy and Aruto, they're talking about this competition. And he says, yeah, th- this guy is my representative. Like, no one can beat him, especially with Zaya spec. Yeah, so Guy is introducing the contest this week. This is the first time that uh, Aruto and Izu are hearing about it, which means that Guy had the entire advantage to handpick this person, prep him, prime him. Get him ready for the cut. Harry, this isn't a real contest at all. I, I think they knew before this meeting, because Izu is able to say, yeah, this is our representative, uh, the head of Smile Real Estate, a a, a human gear. I, I think it's just the Smile human gear is what I wrote. So do we think that in future weeks, Aruto and Izu, they're actually going to get to pick any of these contests? Because if Guy gets to just handpick all five, then that's even more of a joke than this already is. The show is doing very well with a lot of things, so I'm willing to give it a lot of leeway at the fact that Aruto is being a big dummy about this contest. Like, he's driven and working for it on a lot of things, but he's being naive and letting Guy kind of create a very a narrative. tilted yeah, a narrative here. Even though uh, all of Guy's competitors seem to be turning evil in, into monsters and becoming more blatant with their hate crimes. As we'll get to in this uh, somewhat emotional episode. <laughs> So, Harry, uh, I also kind of want to talk about something. Just take a moment, step back. I want to talk to you about the sales cycle. We're dealing with real estate here. They have a two-week contest for real estate. Real estate is a very slow sales cycle. Real estate is something where you will, where a successful real estate person might have no sales for weeks at a time. Like, it's something that you have to prep and prime, like... The properties that this guy has been selling, or that he will be selling over these two weeks, presumably they're things that he's been prospecting and running analytics on for weeks or months in advance. True. And also, it's, I mean, there doesn't seem to be a provision as to the size of the sales, because when we're introduced to the Smile Human Gear, she's giving a very professional uh, overview of a large living space for a couple, uh, saying stuff like, yeah, it's been expanded, you know, renovated, uh, just a little bit ago, uh, this it's got a big kitchen, great for the you know the bigger family you're getting because the uh, it's a married couple and the woman and uh, the woman is pregnant, and you know it does a good job in selling it. And it's a huge ass house. So Sam, I looked into the prices of real estate in Japan, and holy fuck! Oh, 
Yeah, yeah. Are we talking like seven figures for that property? Japanese real estate, it seems to be, it's uh, it's measured in the subo, which is kind of like a, a traditional mat thing. It's just how it's referred to. Like, they also have square, square meters and stuff, but just offhand, it's like in terms of this specific subo. So, like, I think a typical Japanese apartment uh, in Tokyo is 10 subo, which is, like, still not a lot. I think it's about the size of my bedroom, if you've ever been here, Sam. So, like... Maybe three to four hundred square feet. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, something like that. If that. And so going by the current price of of a real estate in Japan, something about the size of my bedroom would cost a quarter million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Japan's real estate went through a bubble at one point and broke, but now it's kind of building back up to there and things are getting super weird with their whole economics. Like you said, there's no provisions for, like, uh, how big the properties are selling. They're not even playing in the same fields. Like, we don't get it, like, right now, but there's a point where uh, the enemy seller in this episode, he talks about what he's selling. He's selling uh, investment properties to, like, overseas investors, like, you know, condos type of thing, where she's uh, selling, like, family-style homes. This isn't even this isn't even a one-to-one contest between the people, Harry. That is true, and... Almost in her favor, because the guy, he's selling properties that are, the whole his whole deal, he's very good on the phone and saying, like, yeah, I've keep this on the down low, but this this area is going, uh, they're, they're fixing it up, and their property prices are going to be through the roof in, like, five years. So if you get it now, it's an investment. Which is true, and, like, that's very professional. But I think that also means that, by the terms of the arrangement, the big family homes that the Humagiri is selling would actually be way better for this contest. Like if that's if that's the context, then maybe actually Arto is doing well here. <laughs> yeah, I mean we keep seeing you know these uh, charts, and they're very Hollywood style charts of you know lines just like dancing around each other, going up, indicating sales. We also get a point like later on where the contest has been going out a week, and they mention that the smile person has made six sales. So we should not be seeing those lines. That are just, like, constantly fluctuating. We should see, like, six points on a two-week chart. Uh, but, uh, I mean, this real estate contest isn't the only thing going on, because, hey, there are also evil robots. Yes. Fua is back with his Hannibal Lecter, uh, Hirobi, who is, he's grilling for information about the Raid Riser. Do we think he's gonna, like, lock him in a glass cage at some point? Like, uh, give him one of those masks, just go the full 100% Hannibal Lecter? Uh, I mean... I do have some suspicions about things that are going to happen in the storyline. Uh, I had a couple theories last time, and one was disproven, and the other might have been confirmed. Uh, but yes, during this conversation, Fuwa is grilling uh, Hirobe uh, about what's going on, why humans are transforming now, uh, what's going on with the raiders. Uh, Hirobe says that he no longer is connected to that information because in his death, he was disconnected uh, from Metsubojinrai.net. If you follow the Raid Risers and the people wearing them, then I'm pretty sure nearby will be the person who's uh, giving them the belts. Wink, wink. There's more, like, contest stuff happening. Party poppers are going off as sales happen. This is where I researched the real estate market as just me typing in all caps for a while. <laughs> uh, we finally get a point where a guy and Yua are meeting with uh, their asshole salesperson, and they're telling him, like, dude, you're losing to the Humagear. We handpicked you. We made this contest for you. Why are you losing to the Humagear? 
Humanity must not be surpassed by human gears. I have crafted I have crafted a flourishing business using only my wit, my own flesh and blood. Bootstraps, uh, Tatsumi. <laughs> I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and probably like a billion dollar loan from the multinational global conglomerate that I'm working for. And, mm-hmm. But in any case, I alone made Zion Japan what it is. This is human potential, and every step we fall behind human gears is a step to our destruction. And that would be bad for your career. <laughs> do you think do you think people are just gonna stop agreeing to work for Guy? Because rough shit is happening to them, even what they win. Like, yeah, it, presumably the next like six to eight episodes are going to be the continuation of this contest. I'm starting to doubt that we're gonna get there. Like we might get through the third contest, and then they just got to bail on the storyline, because they're just going to keep hitting the same beats again and again. So, the real estate guy, he's he's doing his best, but he's losing at this dumb contest, so he's frustrated, he's storming out, he's kicking a traffic cone, and a mysterious figure walks up behind him and says, Your heart is on the verge of breaking. If you do not wish to lose in the competition, use this, and slaps a belt on him. And she gives him the splashing whale transformation thing. Uh, so this person, we don't like they're they're wearing a cloak and stuff and wearing a mask, but we do see their neck. Uh, one thing I'll mention from last episode, I kind of had two theories. One of them was that there was an actor who was one of the judges named One One Infinity. It turns out mm-hmm. that there's just a Japanese actor named One One Infinity. Uh, like, I I posted in some threads, like, my crazy theories, and people, just after we recorded the episode, said, oh, there's there's just this actor, here's the Twitter. And you, there's videos of them just, like, dancing around, wearing common Rider belts. They're clearly a huge fan. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's disproven. But on the other hand, I had a theory that Fua, because he's been wearing the Assault Wolf belt, might be getting hacked by Metsubo Jinrai. So I looked at the neck, and there are two distinctive moles. And I looked at a photo of the actor Afua. He kind of has some distinctive moles on his neck. Wait, 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 wait. Fua's mind has been hacked and he's the one who's passing out the belts. Yeah, he, he. that's why Horobi was saying like, hey, follow the belt people. I'm sure that the person who's giving them will be nearby. Eh? Like, Horobi's playing him. You know, now that you mentioned that, like, so the salesperson transforms and there's a fight. Like... Uh, the asshole salesperson, like, he's targeting one of the houses that the Smile Human Gear is selling. Uh, but Hirobe, or, uh, Fua shows up very quickly to this fight. Yeah, he's very close. And he pulls out the Assault Wolf form. He shoots at the whale guy. Uh, he, he even has extra arm guns, like Bullseye for American viewers, um, Gundam Alex's arm cannons for you know, more anime fans. Uh, he, he's very good. And also, when it comes out, he doesn't seem to be having those, like, bleeding side effects anymore. Yeah, so, uh, Fua, very close to this fight, almost as though he was the person who actually gave them the belt in the first place. Oh, that's a very interesting theory, Harry. And I suspect you might be 100% right. I mean, it. I looked, he does have, like, two moles on the left side of his neck, uh, both the person wearing the outfit and Fua. So if it's not him, they're fucking with people on purpose. I wouldn't put it past the show. No, yeah, they might. But anyway, the the competitor guy, he just kind of jumps in, smashes a house that the Smile Human Gear was selling, and runs away. And de-transforms. Like this, he, the belt thing was put on, and he might be mind-controlled to some extent, because this is a thing that's happening more. But he's also kind of just 
you know, cheating at he's the He's still himself, now. yeah. Like, he is able to transform and detransform basically at will. He's basically a dopant at this point. Uh, so, uh, Aruto is talking with Fua. Uh, uh, Fua mentions that uh, this is a raider, and he learned that from Hirobe, uh, which was news to, news to Aruto. Yeah, he says, hey, we gotta go deal with him. And Fua says, no, no, don't worry, he's in custody. Anyway, you have something else to worry about this this whole contest. They should definitely still worry about uh, Hirobe being alive. Yeah, well, Fuwa's totally got it handled. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does. And the smile human gear is very sad, because she was this close to selling a big house in Japan, which, as I've stated, is probably like millions of dollars. So there's a late night talk uh, with the uh, business person. So he's uh, back in the lead of the contest, and he's having a chat with another uh, person in the office about uh, why he entered the of the real estate industry in the first place. And we kind of get the sad backstory of this asshole that uh, is the the villain for these couple episodes. Uh, it turns out that his family was super poor and they, you know, lived together in a tidy apartment next to a trade track. And so he just always connected like home ownership with dreams, home ownership with freedom. And so it's something that he studied and he got into. Yeah, that makes sense. Back at the Smile uh, real estate office, Himiger's sad because, hey, houses are places where people want to live happily, so why would you destroy such a place? Like, what? what is he? What is a home, even? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. And then, someone comes to the rescue. It's the carpenter, Himiger! Yeah, boss. He's gonna fix the broken houses like the boss he is. Because, I mean, this is the heated corporation, and I guess there's not a rule against calling in other Himigears to help. So, like, they're just fixing the houses and then selling them, and Probably because of insurance, they're clearing up. Like, they have unlimited <laughs> free labor. So, Sam, I think they're actually still winning at this contest. <laughs> uh, also, this... Let's talk about the Carpenter Humagear for a second, because he might be my favorite character in this show. Oh, yeah, he's great. He just shows up. He's like, yeah, I, I'm... I'm gonna... I'm gonna fix him. The houses are lonely if no one lives there, so I'm gonna... I'm gonna fix him like a boss. So, this is an android uh, made by a corporation to do a task. They could have done anything with them. And what they did with this guy, they made this wiry, like, just crotchety old, like, it's, you know, the actor is, like, a 50, 60-year-old guy, clearly, like, hyper-weathered skin. It's just made of, like, steel tendons and all that. Like, he really looks like a carpenter. <laughs> like, they could have made him young and sexy. They could have made him, like, you know, movie star quality. No. They just went with this crotchety, just cranky old carpenter. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. I'm, it's It's real fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're back to winning and cut to Guy in his office with Yua and the human real estate guy. And he's saying, hey, uh, so I don't want to question your integrity, but every property your your opponent is selling has come under attack. Are you doing anything unsavory? This needs to be a fair competition. The last time somebody tried to rig theirs and it was bad for me, I <laughs> come on, dude. Yeah. Uh, the seller, he he denies it, of course, and he says that he is very worried about, you know, human gear automation in the selling industry, which, by the way, is a real thing. Redfin is kind of wildly destabilizing uh, the housing industry at the moment. Yeah, like, what if a human gear were better at selling houses than a human? Like, it would ruin the market. They cost less to employ. They take less time to train. They don't sleep. They just keep selling. So what happens to people like us? And Guy says, hey... It'll never come. Mankind will win with the help of the 
with the help of those uh, Zyspecs. If we can't win, all that awaits is extinction for you as well. <laughs> so, uh, the seller, properly amped up, uh, shows up at a house uh, that the Smalhubagir is selling to a lovely couple. And he starts beating her up. Like, this is rough. Um, so It's it's th- real rough. She She's made the sale, and... In the previous episode, the the guy just kind of pushed out the humor gear, which is a jerk move, sure. But this one... It's like, still assault. But this one, uh, he shows up and says, hey, why would you want a house from a filthy humor gear? Like, they don't sleep in a bed. They don't need a kitchen to cook. They don't need a bathroom. They don't need a bathe. So what the hell do they know about a home? And she kind of stabs her and says, oh, I sell a home, but the smile is free. And so I said, oh, yeah, that's that's just dumb. They just glue that on her. This is the only thing uh, Human Gear is good for. He grabs a flag nearby, kind of the, the home uh, up for sale thing, and shoves it down her shirt. It says, like, yeah, you're just a flag holder. They can stand to it four hours a day. This is great. And the actress is playing. She is very upset. Like, she's really. She, yeah, I mean, they got, you know. Watch. They got an adorable actress for this because, of course, they did. And so we just have this extended, like, multi-minute sequence of this guy just yelling at her, berating her, like, and and physically assaulting her. Like, he pushes her down this block, and he ends up, like, shoving her into a lake. Yeah, and Aruto is, like, screaming and trying to stop them, but he's just fast-walking her, and she gets shoved in the water, and he walks off laughing. Of course she transforms. (laughs) She gets connected to the Ark. It says humans are consumed by vindictiveness. Destroy them all. In the fight, she, for most of it that happens, she barely even attacks people. She's just kind of flailing around and just having like a, just having a fit. Like she's, she's not even as violent as human gears, the Magiers usually are. Yeah. And the seller, of course, like freaks out when he sees her transform and he runs away. Uh, We'll deal with him next episode. This episode's almost over. Uh, All we get is a guy showing up uh, being menacing of course, he was like, you know, right there. He was waiting for this to happen. And, like, Guy destroys her. He drops some bombs on uh, Aruto. He says that he can't... Uh, uh, yeah. He says that he is going to protect humanity from uh, human gears. They were fine when they were tools, but then they started achieving sentience and became dangerous. Because artificial intelligence is fundamentally lacking. With no ego, ego to restrain their id, they're just too dangerous. And so he, he kills her. Uh, so fuck guy, because earlier in the episode, it was made clear he was rallying this guy up on purpose. Like the, the creepy thing about guy is I think he actually believes in what he's saying, but remember, he's the one who drove the arc crazy. He's making all these situations worse and intentionally driving the human gears bad. And like, he is creating a self-fulfilling prophecy of human gears needing to be destroyed for the good of humanity, but also to sell his product because he's the best. Like he is he, a psycho- he is also a human gear, Harry. Let's not let's not forget that. I, he's an I android. I there's no I don't think he is. I think he's just the shitty ass CEO, which is even worse. Harry, last episode, they were talking about like they had the picture from like twenty years ago where he hasn't aged today, and he was talking about how weird human flesh and skin is. Harry, he's a human gear. I, I think he's just rich. He's not he's not human. Or he's not entirely human. He might he might be like a brain in a human gear body or something like that. But I he is just... not entirely human. And so I think a part of this is that he's kind of he's in a self-hating spiral, or he knows how dangerous human gears can be because he is a human gear who has achieved sentience. 
I entirely disagree. And that's something we'll find out. Like, this is not spoilers. Like, I, I wouldn't be arguing with you on this if I had any more information. But I don't think I've even seen the latest toy scan, so I don't lo- know, like, what upgrades of any are coming for him. So I don't know. Well, I mean, that wouldn't even tell, because it would just be armor, and so you can't tell them that. Sometimes they're spoilery. Like, I, it, sometimes you can figure things out. Well, but anyway, that's the end of the episode, and we'll see the back half of this competition. Uh, well, we're recording this Saturday night, so we'll see it in, like, three hours. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll wait a little bit longer, because I try to watch them soon after, uh, well, soon before we record. Well, and I like to watch them as soon as they come out, so I forget a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, here's something that we definitely didn't forget, because it's time to go into our second show of the evening, Common Rider Baron, The Baron Show, about Baron, because Kota's not the main character anymore. <laughs> So, as we start this episode, Harry, uh, what what are the numbers of this episode? 33 and 34. Yeah, we're we're getting to it. Like, we're approaching Endgame pretty fast. We're in the last third. Mm-hmm. And uh, as the... So, there's a brief recap, but the episode starts, and Kota comes home to find his sister has seen the danger and immediately decides to leave without telling him, just leaving a note saying, like, hey, I'm gonna get out, you know, have fun, Kota. I mean, he is a superhero, oh. so it's not as cold-blooded as it could be, but man does she know he's a superhero i i doubt he told her (laughs) like the writers they're not doing this sister any favors like they just they're doing with her whatever the plot dictates that particular week and most of the time it dictates that she's some kind of like careless dick to him maybe it's just the family intelligence because coach is not smart these episodes either like their parents died how did they die did they just like walk into the ocean on accident or something uh, it was raining outside, they were looking up, and they drowned. Yeah, the, surely surely the rain wouldn't hurt them like this. <laughs> the, the rain's a good person. The rain's our friend. It it makes these rainbows. How can we drown? Uh, so, yeah, the sister, like, she uh, is going towards an evac station, but it looks like it's abandoned. Uh, but then she runs into a child, and then there's an invis, so she grabs him, and then they run off. Then we hit the really fun scene that I was, that I'm hoping to hear your reaction about, Sam. Because it starts, <laughs> yes. It, it's like a, it's a CGI cyberspace thing. It's clearly a group of different world leaders kind of telecommunicating. Now, Harry, these aren't world leaders. These are Yggdrasil CEOs. Right, right. Uh, there's a Chinese guy, a British guy, and I think French. It's they're speaking in their own languages. I went with uh, Norwegian uh, because it's like uh, one of the Sony presidents, Norwegian. I, I don't know, but they're just three. Well, there's three Yggdrasil, uh, like, worldwide he- heads, and they're complaining about the Japan branch and how much they're fucking things up. Because, <laughs> hey, their their headquarters got taken over by Invest. They have to deal with this. Why did they leave Takatora in charge? That guy's an idiot. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Warwick shows up in the virtual reality space and just uh, starts laughing at these guys. And he says, hey, uh, he kind of, uh, he pulled a Snowden. He released every single document that they had on eliminating the world population. Yep. The second they say, 
hey, we're, we're going to hunt you down. He says, no, nah, the hunter is the hunted. I released all the gory details on Project Ark to the world. And everybody freaks out. And as the British guy yells, that was our best chance at saving the human race. And Ryuba says, eh, my research is more important. <laughs> Smash cut to the clubhouse where Team Gaim and Team Baron are watching on the news as the world is falling apart. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's the apocalypse. Like, now everyone knows about uh, the Invis, at least, you know, a little bit. I don't know exactly how much information uh, Warring uh, released to the world, and I'm sure that the amount of information will fluctuate from episode to episode anyway. I think he released literally everything, except for his own secret uh, devices and stuff, which he still has some of, of course. Well, but, yeah, no, but, like, like, the different the different episode writers are going to have, like, different levels of information to the public, so. Yeah, but, I mean, the news are saying, so, turns out that pretty much every government was involved in a plan to kill six-sevenths of humanity, um, everyone has resigned, the stock market has crashed, global economic collapse is happening, stuff is bad. <laughs> yep, it's the end of the world. We see this, we are in the Grease Lightning Garage. Uh, I tried to do a head count, it was... Uh, Gaim, uh, Baron, Peach, Bravo, uh, they're all hanging, and everything is just straight fucked. Uh, especially with uh, Peach there telling them, you know, all the uh, dirty inside Yagdrasil details. The military isn't going to come into the city. Yagdrasil is responsible for that. They're just going to circle around and cut us off. Yeah, it turns out that their uh, their city is actually the city from Infamous, with three bridges leaving that can be cut off by the military. Yeah, I, I wrote down like a GTA map, because it's exactly that type of thing. It's a waterlocked city that you can't get out of easy. So they've always been planning this. And Kota shouts that they'll pay. And Baron just looks at him and says, how? How are you going to make them pay? Uh, so Baron gets up to leave, and then everyone just kind of exchanges walkie-talkies. Because uh, they are they are the law of the city at this point, and so they're just going to stay in communication as they wander around and fight the Invis. And Baron... He organizes everybody and says, if you want to sit here and pout, do that, but we're going to sweep the city. We're going to help everybody who is trapped. We're going to we're gonna do stuff. It's it's going great. So uh, now we jump to uh, Michi and the Green Overlord hanging out in Yggdrasil Tower, which is completely overrun. And Michi is kind of looking at the ruins around him and says, oh, you took this over fast. And Reggie turns back to him and says, yeah, did did you think I was bad at this? Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. And Michi, you know, who before has been relying on the people he's been betraying to be kind of dumb, doesn't seem to realize this. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I know you're good. This this is great. <laughs> yeah, uh, Michi says that the most important thing that they could possibly do at this point is destroy Kota. He is the one thing standing in between them and controlling the world. R Reju, she needs someone to control uh, both worlds. She's not wiping out humanity. Uh, she needs a warden. Like, she needs a people person. Uh mm -hmm. Like, he rules, she plays. And it's <laughs> it's not a bad deal as far as Michi is concerned. Yes. And so as they strike this deal, uh, the Green Overlord summons a weird armored peacock to help him kill Kota. Like, there, there's not a lot of these other overlords. Like, none of them are important. They only ever appear for, like, one or two episodes. So, I mean, this one's named Du Duanshu, but it, it dies literally this episode. Not even next one, so don't worry about it. So, uh, we now kind of jump around. We see the heroes, like, fighting Invis. Uh, Kaito is definitely focusing on uh, killing the various Invis and not, like, breaking the bridges. Uh, I was a little unclear. So, is the army, like, are they quarantining the bridges or have they literally destroyed them at this point? 
I think they're quarantined. Kaito is fighting dudes, and Mai is, she's being the person on the radio, coordinating people over the map. And it, this is a, an interesting callback to a specific conversation they had, where she's kind of bummed, and Kaito picks up on it, and she says, like, hey, I, I thought the city wouldn't change, that it'd always be home, but everyone is gone, it's just a ruin, there's, there's nothing I can do. And Kaito says, well, do what you said you would when the world was falling apart. Just start dancing. That's your strength. As they're having this conversation, like, uh, the actors are kind of, like, uh, being, uh, they're appearing in the rooms, uh, talking to the people, even though they're, like, an entire city apart. It's a kind of dramatic, almost romantic style uh, shot between these two. No, almost about it. Like, this, this is romantic. Like, my is way into Kaito. And Kaito, I mean, I'm... Kaito, Kaito might be into Mai, or I don't think Kaito might just be friends with Mai. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Kaito is an interesting enough character because he's actually friends with multiple women, so he's he's better than the, most men are written in these series. It's hard to tell. There's not an obvious romantic interest because he actually treats people like people. Yes, he respects their uh, he respects their strengths. He acknowledges that they're people. He you know he really sees them for who they are. Uh, my my says, well, you know. Whatever my strength is, you're better. Everyone, Team Gammon, Team Baron, Team, uh, like, Bravo, even Yagdrasil, they're fighting together and all because of you, Kaito. That's why, that's why, like, she's seconds away from saying, that's why I love you, when a crack opens and he's got to go and do some work. So, uh, at a certain point, Kota and Peach, they get drawn into an ambush. They're fighting some dudes. Oh, well, there, there's a minor scene, uh, that... It's not important until later, but I'll just mention it. So Bando, he's still in the city because he's cooking for these kids. You know, he, hey, he's going to look over them. And Kota, like, he, yeah, he's just stopping in for a meal, but he's not that hungry because he's been, he's been wearing the belt. Also, hey, hey, uh, this food is kind of bland. I don't know. It's probably not important. Wait, 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 Harry. Uh, I guess I kind of missed that. Is is the juice shop serving, like, tainted fruit? What's going on, Harry? Uh, I mean... All right. Are they, I, are they serving tainted fruit? All right. Here's the problem. I was I was gonna I was gonna make fun of Koja for not realizing this, but I don't know. He's living in the world. Maybe you just weren't paying attention. Do you remember last episode? Literally last episode. Ne- never mind. It doesn't matter. What? It, what? Why doesn't it matter, Harry? No. Well, no. You know what? We'll see it when the show. Like, if you didn't pick it up, then we'll get to it later. Anyways, <sighs> Yoko is uh, hanging out with Kota, and he's saying like, "Hey." Why did you betray Yagdrasil? And she says, they left me to die. I just, I saw Kaito was great, and now I'm on his side, you know? Like, he's definitely going to win this whole fight. And Kota says, why is this got to be a fight? And she says, because we're, because you're an idiot. <laughs> so, uh, let's get to the fight. Yeah, the Peacock and Michi, like, they're fighting. Uh, Kota doesn't really want to fight Michi because he's wearing his brother's armor. And Kota doesn't realize that it's an imposter yet. Until Bravo shows up. Yeah. Michi is being on him, but he's in his Kachidoka arms, which is basically invulnerable, so I don't think he's even... Like, he he was willing to fight back in previous episodes. I think Michi's plan is literally not even working that well this time. Uh, <laughs> he's just not a threat. But Bravo shows up and says, Hey, I can, I'm an experienced soldier. Uh, Takatora's fighting style was beautiful and elegant. This guy is neither of those. This is an imposter. And Kota says, oh, okay, and blows away the Overlord. Michi has to basically use him as a human shield. Yeah, like, uh, there's a point where Kota is trying to frag Michi, 
and uh, Michi pulls the Overlord in front of him <laughs> to take the shot. And then in spite, as the Overlord is screaming, wait, you betrayed me, Michi just kind of slashes him and then runs away. Yeah, well, he, he has to break out of the bubble thing because Overlords can teleport. So Kota's Overlord killing thing just has to trap them in a bubble before they die. It, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. But I, I loved that mental image of like, you know, Michi just kind of instinctually just stabbing someone that he's allied with. Michi's also, he's so bad at fighting that at a point he kind of attacks Duduanshu just to get closer to Kota. Like, he doesn't have a great plan, but no, no. Kota wins, and Michi just has a moment by himself, pounding on some uh, some wire fences, shouting, Why does he keep getting stronger? <laughs> yes, why, riders, why? <sighs> well, it doesn't matter. No matter how much power he gets, he's still stupid gullible Kota. I'll find a chance to strike, and then I'll have the last laugh. And he he laughs, walking off like the Joker. Uh, so, I last episode, I was saying a thing about how Michi is kind of going crazy. And in that episode, you said, no, no, I, I don't think Michi is going crazy. And I realized, oh, Sam hasn't seen these episodes yet. Sam, do you still think Michi is sane? I think he's starting to lose it. Especially this next episode. episode yeah, uh, by the end of this episode, yes. But... So as the episode begins, people are doing uh, laundry in Grease Lightning Garage. Uh, Bravo is just talking about Takatora, dropping some truth bombs about him. Yeah, y- Yoko, she looks ar- she looks around because she heard that somebody using Takatora's belt was attacking Kota. And she's like, "Wait a minute, I've I've been part of the other side of the plot." And Michi walks in, and she looks really confused. Yeah, like, is this the first time that uh, Peach and Michi have been in the same room on, like, Team Good for a while? Kind of. Like, Michi walks forward, and everyone says, Hey, Michi, our best friend! And Michi's like, oh yeah, I was, I was scouting the tower. Oh, I was uh, I was getting some information. It's it's great. And Yoko's about to say something, but Barry just kind of grabs her to the shoulder and shakes his head. Well, first, I mean, she flashes back to, you know, uh, to Michi watching his brother get betrayed. And, like, pushed off a cliff and then picking up his belt, she has immediately put the pieces together and she realizes what's going on. Uh, Baron, yeah, Baron stops her from uh, dropping the truth on him. So, Reggie, uh, she's off on her own in the tower, looking at the laptops and tech that's left around, and she's impressed. She says, yeah, all right, these aren't just apes. Their construction and data management capability are way better than ours. I can make a wonderful toy. Yeah, back outside the garage, Yoka really does, like, uh, confront Michi now, uh, because they're alone in private, and Michi cops to helping an overlord for the time being, which Peach does not understand. She's like, fucking why are you doing that? And Michi just saddles up to her and says, hey, you know, play your cards right, maybe we'll find an opportunity, and then you can get the fruit. And Yoko just brushes a thumb. Brushes, brushes him off and says, I think you're just using me to destroy Kota. Well, sorry, but no one here is going to do what you want them to anymore. Like, I don't want to rule. I want to be the kingmaker, and you're not interesting, kid. You're not going to be a king. You're yes-man at best. Uh, she also, like, as she's walking away, she reminds Michi that he's been dropping a lot of lies, and she knows that no one would believe him yet, but they will eventually figure it out, and there's kind of no going back from the lies that he's been telling. You haven't had a home for a long time. So at this point, uh, we see the Greed Overlord go back to the king and says that the tech he's working on uh, might help revive his queen. 
Russo is just sitting alone in the world, wishing that his wife hadn't been fridged. And Russo has a way out of that. She's got some tech and stuff. She's going to do that. She just needs a little help from Russo uh, to get some fuel. Uh, don't worry, though. It's a type of fuel that there's a lot of in the human world. Yep. Now we cut to the sister at an emergency shelter uh, with the kid she saved the previous episode and a lot of randos who are about to die. Yeah, that's because as she leaves to get some supplies, she leaves the door open. <sighs> like, it's a zombie apocalypse and she leaves the door open. It's it's genetic, right? Like, this whole family... The parents really did die in a rainstorm, didn't they? Uh, Kota, he's at the at the fruit bar and hanging with Kaito saying, Hey, so, what is the golden fruit? I really... I've been told vaguely what it is, but I don't know, like, specifics. And Baron says, I, I don't know, but it's powerful, so I'm gonna get it. Kota says that he's willing to give Kaito the fruit uh, because he would trust him with the power. And I'm sure, Harry, that this is not a conversation that we'll be flashing back to in a few episodes in a tragic manner. Baron turns to him and says, don't worry, with how dumb you are, you're never going to get the fruit. <laughs> oh, Baron. Oh, Baron. Oh, Baron. You deserve a better show. But they're interrupted by a message on the TV. And it's Reggie. Yep, the Overlord is doing that whole villain broadcast to the world move. Uh, hello, humans of the world. I'm Reju of the Linmyth, and new mistress of all humanity. I wanted to talk to her earlier, but I had to learn all your languages, and it, you know, it took a couple minutes. Anyway, uh, yeah, you should really have a common tongue. I'll probably do that. So, I control the floor of Helheim. I'm going to open portals and spread the forest within a year. Surrender and be spared as my new toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's uh, very she? much antagonizing the she? world. Oh, sorry. She. It, it's it's hard to tell, like, but uh, okay, yeah, it's a it's a she. It pretty sure it has a male voice act. She has a male voice actor, and yeah, but and you uh, know, there's no physical characteristics we could tell. But anyway, so uh, sorry, knocked me off my game. Anyway, yeah, Michi storms in and says, "Hey, you know what are you doing? Are you trying to get the whole world angry at you?" And she just says, hey, first impressions are important. I, I can't wait to see how the apes respond. Anyway, my machine is finished. Uh, Garincha, go get some fuel. It's humans. Turns out it's man. <laughs> so now we get to see all the heroes trying to storm the castle. Uh, but the minor players are getting distracted uh, by attacking Invest. Zach Bravo and uh, Ornak, they have a little bit of an action scene where they're fighting dudes. Uh, Zach gives Ornak a watermelon thing. So... Uh, Bravo kind of uses him as a blunt weapon to take out groups of them. It's, it's just a fun thing where they're effective, but also doing some comedy beats. Uh, now we jump to the actual meet where uh, the sister uh, has brought uh, Kota Kaito to the shelter uh, to fight an overlord. Well, a couple. Because first they're fighting Grisha. The, it's kind of like a white rhino-ish thing. They're doing okay. Like, they're they're being it back. And Kota, he takes way too long to use his higher level upgrades. Like, it's... I have to... Straight to come up with reasons why he doesn't just go to higher level forms right away. Like he, I don't know he fights... if there's some kind of like if there's some kind of cooldown or something. If he has to be at a certain level, is it like if you're in a car, like shifting to a higher gear immediately would like short out the edge and something like that? I mean, I think maybe you need to be in uh, triumphant arms to go to zenith arms, but he he starts in just basic orange. Like you should start in lemon. There, I don't think there's ever a reason to not start with your lemon arms. 
Well, we don't know the mechanics of these things. Uh, but yeah, there's a fight. Uh, they defeat the rhino, uh, and then... But it gets saved at the last moment by Reggie. Yes, the greenie. Uh, they're using humans for fuel, and uh, they they cop to that. And they also... Uh, greenie also cops that he was intentionally antagonizing humans to get the reaction. And hey, it turns out that he was reacting by trying to destroy the island. Yeah, like, I declared war on all of humanity. What do you think's gonna happen? Kota doesn't know. Baron does. Like, oh, they're gonna blow up the city with you in it. Kota says, they would never! And Baron says, have you been paying attention? Like, <laughs> Kota! Uh, so now we get a lot of CGI shots of uh, various nuclear missiles being fired at our fair city. Michi sees a thing on the news where people saw missiles being launched towards Japan. So he grabs some binoculars and runs to the window and can see freaking nukes coming his way. So Reju looks up, sighs, and says, all right. Uh, oh, no, Rushu looks up and sighs and says, okay, you're calling my bluff this one time. I'll help you out. So he stands up and freezes the missiles in midair. Yeah, so the king can kind of no-sell a nuclear attack over an entire city. Like, just locks the missiles in place, and then vaporizes? Well, I, what what exactly did he do with them at this point? He, I think he, he snaps vaporizes and they, them. They, go out of, uh, they go out of existence. Yeah, he snaps them away. Like, a, a little bit when the episode first came out, people thought he teleported them back to their countries of origin. But no, I, I don't think that happened. Like, Harry, have you ever read Stranger in a Strange Land? Uh, no. Uh, it's, it's one of the weird hindlines. Uh, but... Uh, the main character of that uh, book can kind of do something similar. Like if he's being attacked by, uh, by whatever, he can kind of cause things to just kind of vanish from existence, and that's kind of what it reminded me of. Back on the ground, Reggie was laughing and saying, "Behold the power of our king!" And Michi sees this and breaks. He is freaking the fuck out. Like he's rolling on the floor, uh, laughing about how he doesn't have family and he doesn't need it. Like he's just. He's done. Like, he's gone full mental break right now. I don't need a home. No home, boys. I can create whatever I want for myself after the end of the world. It's fine. Yes, he is a golden god. He's gonna jump into a pool. He's gonna be, like, stabbing himself in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, he's done. He's broken. The stakes have been rising a lot in Gaim, but this episode, the the world went through total global economic collapse, and there was a nuclear strike called. So it's, it is kind of getting... Things are things are happening. Yeah, things are accelerating. Like, how how can they ramp up from this? Uh, also, Harry, how many episodes ago was that? Like, you know, winter dance party. Was it was it Ted? Was it less than Ted? Uh, the the Christmas party. Yeah, that was episode eleven. No, 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 no. no. Uh, the like the dance contest where they brought together all the dance teams. All right. So the all writers dance contest was in episode eighteen. Oh, really? Yeah, about fifteen episodes. Oh, that's longer than I thought. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the world's falling apart uh, because Kota needs to save them and Michi is still alive. But I will say the Sam. So next episode. Yes. We are going to see the point where Kota finds out that Michi has kind of been betraying, betraying him. Thank God. Sam, here is a question for you. Okay. How do you think it happens? Um, Michi... I don't know. Mitchie tells him that he's been betraying him and Kota doesn't believe it? Yes. Right. <laughs> and we'll cover that next week. Uh, until then, as the world falls apart, let's, uh, let's 
let's keep dancing on the ashes of the stock exchange and stuff. And the nuclear uh, fires. Everyone, just keep dancing. Keep dancing, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>